This Week in Startups is brought to you by Twilio runs an amazing program for startups that includes a $500 getting started credit, access to webinars made exclusive for startups, and full support via their Twilio Startups team. Sign up now at twiliostartups.com slash twist. Clavio helps brands build relationships across any distance, delivering email marketing moments your customers will appreciate, remember, and share in good times and bad. Visit clavio.com slash twist today to start your free trial. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash twist. And LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. To post a healthcare or essential service job for free, visit linkedin.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. You guys have been uh, talking about how great Gary Tan has been on the podcast. He's done two appearances in the last year. Well, uh, I think that the bromance that I'm having with Gary Tan has made Alexis Ohanan a little bit jelly. Very so jealous. A little jelly. You're a little jelly um, that Gary's been on the pod so much, and uh, you finally came up for air. Uh, I know you've been busy, but you're back on the pod. Last time we talked, New York City, mm-hmm. October 2013. It's a minute ago. It was a minute. It's a minute. We're We're 700 episodes later, and you're back. Um, and now you're a venture capitalist. Uh, everybody knows you are the co-founder, along with Steve, um, mm-hmm. of Reddit, which you started mm-hmm. back in 2005, took 12K from Mr. Paul Graham, who was had a startup at the time, YC. You sold it maybe 18 months after you started it for 10 milli, which people yeah. thought was insane at the time. <laughs> Quite a deal. Condé Nast uh, bought it. They didn't destroy it but you spun it back out and now you're back on the board they, they tried maybe i mean I, I give them i think it was benign neglect and and i was lucky in 2014 so just a year after we had met uh met up in new york um to come back as executive chairman and help lead that turnaround and and you know that was my life for about three or four years and then um you know she's read it was like 40 employees i think when i came back and and didn't even have a mobile app uh, and it was 2014. Was you did have a mobile app. You just hadn't built it yourself. You had all these That's people right. who had built their own. All third party. Yeah. Third party. And, and so it was a lot. I, I never thought I'd ever be part of a turnaround, but I, I, let alone a company I had co-founded, but to get the chance was a privilege and the team worked their butts off. And obviously Reddit's in a much, much better place now with I mean, hundreds of employees, multi-billion dollar valuation. And, um, and now I get to do some, some really just delightful work with Gary at Initialized. So yeah. Feeling, very, very fortunate to have the job. People don't realize when they look at that sale or the sale of Delicious, Flickr, we sold Weblogs Inc. 18 months after starting it. That time, Web 2.0, the idea that you could sell a website, and that's what people refer to them as like, oh, you sold your website for $10 million, uh, or I think Delicious went for 20, Flickr and Weblogs went for 30. People said that Condé Nast, Yahoo, AOL, the people buying these things at the time were idiots. And it turned yeah. out like though these Reddit was the last website standing. What do you attribute that to? Um, we got just enough things right, and we got a lot of things wrong. Um, but but in that little apartment in Medford, Massachusetts, in 2005, some of the things that we drew up, um, whether it was threaded comments with voting on each comment, which is, I, I think, the only product claim to fame that I'll ever have in my life. But it's the one I'm very, very proud of um, because those ended up creating a template for a lot of the ways that conversation happened online. And that conversation, especially on Reddit, allowed people to feel a bond and a sense of community. And and this was the thing that I, I just kept waiting for Dig to do, but they never did, which was allowing users to create their own sort of dig communities within the platform. Instead, they took right. a very traditional approach where they had different sections and people could post, but they didn't feel any ownership over those sections. And and the reason Reddit thrived even when, I mean, the company didn't evolve for years after the sale um, was was because we got just enough things right where we created a great platform for this conversation with the, the sort of arguably best things to bubble up and then gave users the sense of ownership over their communities um, where now there's 
tens of thousands of active ones for every interest and every passion. And so even when the product wasn't changing for years, the site kept growing miraculously. Like no business should keep growing when the product hasn't improved for, for four or five years, especially in tech, but it did because of the community, because of those users. See, this is a very profound insight, I think, that uh, I always think about. People always refer to Reddit, eBay, and Craigslist as these sites that don't change. There is this something is the about if you, yeah. Oh, no, man. I mean, do you know how much <laughs> revenue Craigslist has now? Somebody told me they have a billion in revenue, not a billion dollar wow. valuation, a billion in revenue. That's the whisper. The job listings, isn't that? What do they take revenue on? They they take revenue on job and real estate listings in like five percent of markets. Jeez. They just take yeah. a little. They just it's like they are drilling. They're taking like maple syrup out, but only just a little bit. You know, just a little bit of syrup coming out of a couple of trees, and it just is a flood of revenue, but not changing the site in a mm -hmm. way led to like this uh, groundswell of people making subreddits. And now you guys are doing, ex you had the original experiment in um, uh, Reddit gold, like a virtual currency. And yes. then the world caught up and made crypto now. Uh, I know. And I'm, I'm so, this is a fun one. So I think we, we had gold on the product roadmap for a minute. And we finally shipped it, I think, in 12, maybe 2011. And this was not original. I mean, I, I, there was probably stuff already happening in China around virtual goods and this kind of thing anyway. But at least in the States, it, it was fairly novel. But you know who I got the idea from? Drew Curtis of FARC. Yes. Because created total FARC subscriptions. And, and I remember we were talking one day over beers because it's, it's Drew. And that's just how you have a good time and talk shop. And he was like, look, man, advertising is stupid. Um, we ran this, we created this program called Total Fark. We could pay a monthly membership and you'd get a badge next to your username. And it showed that you were part of this group that helps support the site. And you get like a, a couple of extra small features that just kind of made you feel like you were special, not, not having a material impact on the site itself. And, and he said, that's the move. And he said, what really unlocked it for us was when we allowed people to gift total FARC subscriptions to other people because that unlocked the community nature and the giving and the sharing. And I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Like Reddit seems to already have these community dynamics. Why not? And, and so it was Drew Curtis. It was total FARC that absolutely inspired Reddit gold. And then that product now, if you've been noticing the headlines is getting some of that, um, you know, there, there's getting more attention right now because of some of the conversations that have. Well, been you guys had launched that. a crypto wallet or something, and it's built into the Reddit app, and it's yep. pretty obvious where you're going with this. People, Is it? Of course, it it's big? obvious. Of course, I've <laughs> known you for 20 years, close to 20 years. I know exactly what you're doing. Oh, it's gone. Okay. It's obvious. Where it's how is it not obvious? It's obvious what you're doing. Advertising sucks. We're competing with yes. Google and Facebook sucks. Correct. That's correct. And you and guys it's also, have been in a dogfight to make advertising work. I know because I know people who worked on it. Right? It's hard. It. I. That. Believe me. I. Uh. I had the privilege of leading that team in fourteen after the turnaround when advertisers did not want to talk to Reddit about putting ads on the site, and every one of them fought their asses off to get the revenue growth that it's gotten now, and it's great. But yeah, at the end of the day, if you can make money in a way that makes your users happy, much better. Way better. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. And you guys, I know you guys blew past 40, 50 million in revenue like two or three years ago because I was talking to somebody on the inside. So this is like a real big number, but it's not, it, it, people really had a hard time advertising on Reddit because it's user generated content, right? And you guys had- uh, Spicy. It was times. spicy at times. I mean, you guys actually did a really great job, I think, of shutting, I guess Steve was, uh, or I don't know if you were doing this or Elizabeth, but, uh, or I'm sorry, Ellen um, Powell when she was there for a minute. The, mm -hmm. the turning off of all the subreddits that were just out of control, like the trolling ones, the 4chan-ish yeah. ones. It, I mean, it's been a process. It, uh, it definitely started back in 14, and it's been continuing even to this day. I think uh, there definitely, are definitely subreddits that I pushed for us to move faster on that I wish we had that we didn't. Um, there are others where probably I should have moved faster and I didn't. Um, but at the end of the day, the creating that environment, while yes, like it is good for advertisers for sure, it's also just better for engagement. It's also just better for yeah. the product you're trying to build. And um, but if I think for any of these sites, if you're beholden to advertisers, it just it limits you so much with with actually what you can build. And we're now seeing as clear as day, so many platforms emerge 
that show, if you can have a place where people feel a, a sense of purpose and their tribe, like these Substack newsletters, like I, I'm not an investor in Substack. Neither am I. Um, but I'm in awe of the fact that I think this will be a key part of the infrastructure to, to rebuild like everything from journalism. Local yeah. Think about it. Like it's, if you get a, if you get 250 people to pay a hundred dollars a year, it's 25 grand. Yeah. That's enough to pay a writer part-time their salary. Writers get paid 50, 60 K to work at some local newspaper. Yeah. And, and people are willing to pay that money directly into a medium media or news that historically has always been advertiser based. But if you can, thanks to the software infrastructure, you can actually just connect the dots and say, all right, you've got money. You need that money to do your job and I'll pay you directly. And it's, this is the story of the internet. Here's where you're going with it. This is what yeah. I figured out. I know where you're going with it. Okay. Because I know you for a long time. What's going to happen is you just gave us the clue. You said what mm -hmm. made, what we got right was we gave people a sense of ownership. The people mm. who run these subreddits spend, in some cases, hours a day. In fact, some of them might spend so many hours a day that they spend 2,000 hours a year, which is called a job. So what ah. you're going to do with the <laughs> okay. cryptocurrency is the mm -hmm. cryptocurrency is going to be shared with the leads, the mods of the subreddits. And being a mod on a subreddit is going to become like being a Patreon artist, a YouTuber, and you will pay the top Reddit users a sustainable salary to run their subreddits, yes or no? I cannot comment. That's a yes. See, there you go. <laughs> I I love how excited you are about this. I think I think it's it, it is important to consider that you brought up Patreon, which we we are investors in. Um, there are things that did not exist as jobs ten years ago, right? If you had gone to, if you've been at a party and someone was like, "Oh, I'm a musician," or like, "I, you know, I I make YouTube videos of acapella renditions of video game theme songs," they'd be like, "Oh, I'm okay. so sorry. Like, yeah. I hope you can find a way to make that work." <laughs> right? Starving artist is a meme because the market was historically so inefficient for this stuff. And there is literally a guy named Smooth McGroove on Patreon who makes those video game theme song movies. That's and awesome. he's, I mean, he's doing acapella renditions of video game songs, but he makes a living doing this. And, and that, that is a new reality that I think we're still adapting to broadly, but it's here. It is actually happening. And so there's an entire class of workers that we've never even really conceived of as a culture. And, and I know kids are already saying, in the U.S. disproportionately that they want to grow up and be YouTubers, which yeah. is apparently yeah. a real statistic. No, my daughter's into it. Yeah, she wants a YouTube studio. She's like, I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be famous like you, Dad. I'm like, I'm not famous. <laughs> She's like, you have a podcast. All right, I'm really excited to welcome Twilio back to being a partner here at This Week in Startups. If you don't know them, they're obviously the cloud communication platform that's used by people like Uber or Airbnb, Shopify. I use it at Inside. And they're joining with us here at This Week in Startups to bring their Twilio and SendGrid startup programs to our listeners. Twilio provides you the building blocks for messaging, voice, and video in your web and mobile applications. They are rooted in startup culture, and they are here to help you on your journey. In fact, Twilio's first product roadmap was written on the back of a pizza box back in 2007. And I've had Jeff on the podcast a couple of times. I had the founder and the CEO of SendGrid on the podcast a couple of times. You've seen him on here. So if you want to engage and delight your users while scaling globally, all from one API-powered platform, from SMS to voice. You can even go into WhatsApp now. I didn't know that, actually. That's pretty cool. Um, and, of course, you can do email now that they've acquired SendGrid. Uh, you're going to want to use Twilio. I use it. It works great for me at Inside. We do instant alerts and updates. So if you get inside.com slash business, we'll send the top two or three stories to our users by SMS. And now that's becoming one of our main features to get people to pay. And this is where it gets great. And I'm really excited to, to have Twilio make this offer to you, our listeners here at This Week in Startups. They have an amazing startup program. You know what? Everybody's got a startup program, but you're not going to believe this. They're going to give you $500. They're going to give you 500s. 500 bucks in credits right now. Plus, you can get access to webinars made exclusively for startups and the full support of the Twilio Startups team. They're also going to give you $3,000 in SendGrid credits. This is unbelievable. I really am thankful for Twilio for doing this. Go to twiliostartups.com slash twist. Twilio, T-W-I-L-I-O, startups.com slash twist. You have to go there and grab these credits. 
It's $3,500 waiting there for your startup. And they're doing this because they love the podcast and they want to support it. And they want to support startups because they're big fans of startups. And they're big fans of This Week in Startups, uh, which I appreciate. So get the $3,500 now. Twiliostartups.com slash twist. But there is, there, is a, there is a truth to that, which there are going to be ways to make a real living doing this, talking about just what you're passionate about because there's now an audience to reach it that can compensate you. And I'm excited for that. And it's going to open up a bunch of things that are going to confuse the heck out of a lot of people who are going to be very skeptical that it's a way to make a living. But even during COVID, we're seeing a huge spike in creators. We're seeing more money even during a recession going into these things. And I think it's because we've never... Even the last recession, Kickstarter came out of the last recession, and we've never seen what happens when you know disposable income shrinks and people decide very carefully where their money goes and what it means to say, I support you on Patreon because I love what you do and I want you to be able to do it. And I know this money goes to you. And I actually think it's gonna be it's gonna prove to continue to be fairly recession-proof, knock on wood. Because I think the reason we support that artist directly is a much more intimate relationship than like buying a Beyonce CD. Um, no disrespect to Beyonce, but it's like, well, you know, there's like 20 people have their hands in that pie and you're like, yeah, maybe a dollar gets back to her. Maybe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that is just such a bummer of a feeling to know it goes like yeah. 80, 90 cents on the dollar goes to the creator. feels yeah. good. It feels good to give that. You know, what I was going to say about the, um, the moderation and I, and I know you were torn about, Hey, we should have shut some of these things down before and after mm -hmm. it is a very hard thing to police speech. Because you want to, you're American. You want to, you want to believe in freedom of speech. You're, you're Armenian, right? You came from. Yeah. Uh, no, my my father's side. Well, so it's fun. My father's side fled the Armenian genocide. Yeah. Uh, that was a few generations ago. Then my mother immigrated from Germany, like thirty years ago. Yeah. Uh, so she was fresh off the boat. She was technically undocumented for a few years, and then my dad married her. But um, so yeah. I like. So you I have that, like, you want to believe in freedom of speech, but you also don't want people beating each other up in hate speech. It's got to be brutal to watch 4chan and 8chan come out of that. Yeah. Sort of yeah, I think expulsion. And this is a day, this is quite a day to be talking about this yes. because what yesterday I all my days are blurring, but but President Trump is is I don't know if he's doing it today, but this executive order about Jack uh flagging some tweets yeah. being conspiracy theories and I look I this is this is going to be a really, really important debate that I wish I had more confidence in our society being able to have right now, um, because it's been one that we've kind of had in little fits and starts with like Facebook and the election, um, with Reddit, certainly back in the day. I mean, we, we all the social media platforms have had some version of this at different points. And I, I do, I absolutely believe that a, a private company has every right to do whatever they want to do when it comes to not or when it comes to censoring right the the government extends that right that right of freedom of speech which is sort of our mental foundation for where the lines are and it's up to i mean if a company wants to ban use of the color blue like they can do that if they right. want to right private company and but i think the the decisions that we've not as a society been ready to talk about which i think now really happening are that these private companies have never had the amount of influence yeah, that bizarre. they yeah. now. They could swing and elections, right? The idea that a Twitter or a Facebook would swing an election was farcical, mm -hmm. and here we are. And the idea that a president of the... Mm -hmm. If you created a farcical situation for us to discuss in the early days of Reddit, and I said, here's a crazy one. What if an insane narcissist spread um, mm -hmm. rumors and conspiracy yeah. theorists and 50% of the country took it seriously? You'd be like, yeah. well, that's just a ridiculous... Ex impossible example and it's actually literally the reality is that the maniac racist president is tweeting insane stuff that somebody's got to correct i mean what do you yeah. do i feel bad for jack because it's it is the president of the united states but he's saying such insane racist crazy conspiracy theories that it puts you in a really bad position yeah no it, it is and and i and again, I don't. I just don't have faith right now in us being able to have this conversation well, because the very people. Hey, baby. Oh, special guest. <laughs> She's coming over to say hi to dad. Oh, say so this is this is this, this is, is it. New... This is what the new reality is. Oh, how old now? Two. 
She's two and a half. Uh, you're a girl dad, like me. I got three. Is it, aren't girls the best? The absolute best. Um, Did you grow up with is, sisters or brothers? No, I was. Oh, <laughs> can you hear this? I hear something. She's playing on my uh, soundboard. I hope it. Oh, cool. I hope all those soundboards are, yeah, appropriate. <laughs> no uh, fart sounds on your soundboard. <laughs> all the pre-installed. There we go. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Merci. Right. Okay. So wait, wait. Did um, you grow up? You had siblings or no? I did not have siblings growing up, and I, um, when I got probably five, ten, ten years ago, wow, my father remarried, and I have two younger sisters. Um, yeah. But I, so I got the best of both worlds. I got to have sisters when I was already grown, so we never had to fight over like the bathroom. Yeah, that's and, a good and, one. And yeah. fight for things, uh, and so I, I just got all upside, and so they're awesome. Um, and I, yeah, very, very proud. Uh, it changes dad. a lot. You know, you come home, you click that door, and you hear those footsteps running for you, and you get that big daddy hug and knocks you over. That's the greatest. And then every now and then I don't get it. And I'm just like, oh, what did I do wrong today? <laughs> She's like, no, mommy hug, mommy hug. <laughs> this is, it. it's it's such a great rush, man. And that's in so many ways, planning to be and then becoming a father um, helped change a lot of my perspectives, at least broaden a lot of my perspectives on a lot of this stuff. And and really put in, I don't know, I, it, it put so much it put my ego in check. It put so many things in check where I I really thought I knew what I cared about. And I really thought what mattered most to me were, were sort of the obvious things, right? Your, your career and your self-fulfillment and all those other things. But then you have this little person who's yeah. like your heart outside of your body. And it's like, yeah, well, all of my experiences now come down to her. Uh, so anyway, I'm, so, I'm, so, uh, so all of a sudden your inbox and your SMS messages and Things yeah. you've got to get to are just like, yeah, that's that's just noise. I got I got to take this girl for a swim in the pool or go have dinner with her. And I do think it helps. I think it helps helps me be better at my job. I really do. That's that was also the impetus for the Business Dad podcast because I I started talking to more career dads, right, like yourself, who obviously are all in on career, want to be extremely successful, hard charging, all of that. And also want to be, they want to be great at everything they do, including fatherhood. And I feel like popular media and the culture doesn't really do a great job highlighting that stuff. Cause it's either, it's either like the ridiculous, like applauding a dad for doing nothing and just like showing up and be yeah. like, Oh my God, amazing dad, which is like, is the bar that low? Yeah. Or, or it's the like Homer Simpson esque, like incompetent dad caricature. Right. And, and I just, I found so many of my best conversations have come from other super career oriented like business dads yeah. who are just trying to be great at what they do and they struggle and we all f up and and we're just trying uh, our best but the one thing I learned just so quickly was kids spell love T I M E and it really is a it's just about the time and then it's about yeah. how focused you are on that time so what I do yeah. is you know that black mirror device that we all have in our pocket is so compelling. You got to just, what I do is I put it in my draw. I turn it off sometimes when I'm charging it. And then I go just yeah. give them a hundred percent of my attention. And then I'll watch somebody who was with their kids for five hours, but they're on their phone the whole time. It might as well be zero. And I think actually it's damaging the kid. It's telling them the phone is more important than the kid, but man, half an hour when you're down on their level, swimming with them or doing an activity, man, that changes. Everything. What have you learned about being a great dad? Totally agree with this, and I'll I'll tell you how. And I got called out for it because I, I remember we were playing um, soccer. I mean, small scale soccer, we keep yeah. the ball around. And I had my phone out because I wanted to record a video to send to her grandparents. Yeah. I'm like, oh look, he's kicking the ball. It's great. And she comes up. She's like, phone pocket. Nice. And I'm like, what's up, baby? Oh, here's your and dress. She, this is your dress, is Alexis. What? This is for Hold you to on. wear. Dress. Oh, what's your dress? Oh. Okay, fine. You can have it. Magnifique. <laughs> yeah, she's learning French and English. My French Très is magnifique. not great. I'm sure that dress is going to look fantastic, baby girl. Yeah, we got the this, we got the room it, full of dresses. Like, oh, there's a, and it's just how did this happen? There's there's a yes. hundred of these now. But I, I really, I really try my hardest. And when she says that, I'm just like, oh, gut punch. Like you're right. Like I was, I like, and I, and in the moment, my initial reaction is like. Olympia, I'm taking this video so I can show grandma and grandpa, but I'm like, she doesn't care. No, like, that doesn't, no. 
that's I'm just being defensive. Oh, I and just came up with a great unlock. I was looking at that new GoPro Hero Eight that's waterproof and you can put it on a stick. I'm gonna buy. I was thinking, you know, the GoPro Eight. Like, anyway, my friend had it and it's waterproof now, so like you can actually take it right in the pool without a casing and everything. And he had it on a stick and he was taking all those pictures that way. And I just realized, oh, that's a way to do it without them thinking you're looking at a screen and checking your email. Oh, because it's participatory. Yeah, then yeah. they can pick it up themselves and they can use the camera. So this is where a single function camera is better. So helpful. That. Yeah. So I'm I'm insane. I use a, a freelancer app called Toggle. Uh, not an investor. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> full disclosure. Hashtag um, investor. But I but I maybe I should have been. I, I use this every day, just like a freelancer would block time that they're working on clients work oh you're doing yes you have your time management i saw you were tweeting about this how's it going every monday as like a sort of a check on myself since the start of this year and and also just in the spirit of transparency be like hey look here's how i'm trying to struggle between personal life and work life and all this stuff and and it's super helpful because i it's very unromantic but like i clock in for family time and so when I just by doing that, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in family time now, and it it enforces me it to put the phone yeah. away. And and I swear, just being mindful of it, like you're suggesting, I I'm I'm only two and a half years in the game, so I'm not an expert, but it definitely feels like it makes a difference. And I would rather, I would much rather spend an hour of very engaged, very direct, high quality time than the five yeah. of you know, in front of them, but on a phone. The other big unlock I realized was I was looking at, I was trying to remember like the times I rem had these great memories with my dad. And it was like just a couple of them, but they were when we did some crazy activity one-on-one -on -one together and we had gone skiing mm -hmm. or something in upstate New York, blah, blah, blah. So then I started optimizing around like every month or two doing a one-on-one -on -one daddy daughter thing. I have a 10 year old and then I have two identical four year olds. And when they hit four or five, they kind of are able to do this. And I just yeah. take them on a daddy daughter trip and do something epic just with them. So yeah. I, I was taking the 10 year old crabbing because she had got into crabs and yeah. I just went to the pier in San, San Francisco and we just put the cages out. We sat there with these old Chinese men and we caught yeah. crabs and then she didn't want to kill them. So she gave them to the Chinese men who make soup out of them, or whatever on the pier, they cook them on the pier. And That's it, dope. And it was like the greatest thing ever. And it's like, it's like cost $25 to buy a crab net. And now here we are crabbing. But those experiences that hopefully, you know, she carries with her, man. Forever, right? They just carry those forever. And you're you're on the cusp, right? When they get to about four so years close. old. When they're four uh, years old. Because when they're under four, it's really, I find, about mom. But then they get to like four yes. and they're out of the diapers. And they can yeah. really start to like do an activity. And then mm -hmm. I would just dedicate my Saturday to to my 10-year-old when she was that age. And I just said, what do you want to do today? And she said, I want to go to the movies. I want to go crabbing. I want to go for ice cream. And I want to go for pizza. And I'd be like, you just described like my perfect Saturday. Let's go. Yeah. Then you yeah. come home and it's like 7, 8 o'clock and they are asleep on your shoulder. And that, mm. that I would say, mm. that is the magic for me is taking them out of the car seat, putting them over your shoulder and laying them down to sleep. That's mm. the moment. For me, that's always been the moment that when they're tuckered, they just want to yeah. sleep. You're like, mission accomplished. I did it. I did it. In uncertain times, supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers is a strategy that will be appreciated, remembered, and it'll be shared. In good times and bad, open and empathetic communication with your customers is key. It's critical. Email is and has always been one of the best channels for delivering these communications. We all know that. And email marketing is one of Clavio's core offerings. And when you leverage personalization driven by a 360-degree view of the customer, those emails will feel even more relevant, fostering a deeper and stronger relationship. Clavio truly understands how challenging it is for each and every entrepreneur to get their business off the ground, let alone navigate such trying times. If you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, especially in this climate, you're not alone. Clavio is here to help brands build relationships across any distance. So here's your call to action. Create meaningful, memorable email marketing moments that last a lifetime. Visit Clavio.com slash twist to start a free trial. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Radical delegation is the other thing. You're, you, you seem to have really figured out what your role is as an investor. And yes. I, describe for people what you think your role at Initialized is. I have my own perception of it, but I'm curious how you see it. Sure. Well, I mean, so Gary and I co-founded the firm. Um, 
he was he was full time at the firm. So we we basically launched Modern Initialized uh 2013 2014. So right around that time is when I went back to Reddit. And so I was then part time in Initialized up until probably 2 years ago um when I went back to just on the board at Reddit after the turnaround uh and and so we're we're both managing partners at the firm. My uh sort of scope is is really obsessed with the kinds of services and ways that we can support our portfolio companies. And the big mantra, the message we have for the six other partners at the firm is, and because admittedly, we do things different. Like we really want to have a system. Gary refers to it as the the Avengers. But like we want to have a system where there's someone that you can tag in. And we have we we run the whole thing on software that we have built. I've heard so about this software. Was Folio or something you call it? Folio, yeah. yeah I heard so about Folio. I've heard the legend of Folio. Oh, good. Uh, and so they get tagged in. Um, and so then it appears on their newsfeed and they're, they're sort of primed to know the circumstances, the situation and where this company needs help. And I just, I really obsess with finding ways to make sure these Avengers, we all function as well and efficiently as possible, both like as a hive mind for intelligence, because so much of this business is information asymmetry, right? We get to this is all legal, right? We get to know things the rest of the market doesn't know because we're so early stage. These are private companies and and make investment decisions based on We them. literally trade on inside information in private companies. Now, if you were to be on CNBC, which you and I do on a pretty regular basis, you <laughs> yes. would, if you, I, one time I was on CNBC and I said, they said, how do you know this? I said, I have inside information. I'm like, boop, boop, like all the alarms. They're like, did you say you have inside information? Yeah. I said, I have inside information <laughs> about this private company, not that public one, just to be clear. And I yes. don't trade, but we do trade on private information. And yeah. I think it's a really great metaphor, the Avengers, because sometimes you need Hulk to come in and smash. I'm not saying you're yes. the Hulk. I put you in the Captain America category. Because oh, I, was, I was hoping you were going to say Iron Man, but that's all right. No, nah, I mean, <laughs> actually, I could see that too. I, actually, I see both of them because I think you have the charisma and you know, you're know, you a on, micro Jason. celebrity. In the, yeah. in, the inter, in the As I tell people, like there's internet famous. Which is kind of the equivalent of not being famous, you know, like yes, because you can live most of your life not as a famous person. Correct. Like you and I walk out if we're at an internet event, you and I would be mobbed for selfies, and then if Correct. we went to any other event, people would say, "Excuse me, can you park my car?" Or like, <laughs> "Can you get out of the way?" Right? Like people don't recognize you if you're not. Um, like it's not. I mean, but now it's starting to happen more. I think because you were because of my was wife. That? It's it's changing Maybe a little bit because of that, but also as the I this. I think the thing for you is the you're so good at the press. And mm. I I've been watching you guys. I took, you're great at it. I mean, being able to do media hits is a real skill. Yeah. And doing okay. it for your companies is a superpower. See, you're not doing it to build your brand. You're no, using all, your celebrity to build their brands. And sure. I saw that and I was like, wow. We watch who our accelerator companies ask for introductions to. And you guys mm -hmm. went from like, you know, coming up once in a while to all of a sudden being in the top like 10 to 15, right up there with Sequoia, right up there with Bill Gurley Benchmark. That's where we want to be. And I, well, that's the name of the game, right? Is you want to be on the short list. And I was watching and I was like, oh, Get Roman. Yeah, I know that startup. And then you're the spokesman for Get Roman now. I, I'm one of, yes. Apparently, uh, apparently I but do. But you've got a full head of hair. You've got a full head of hair. I use Roman, bro. It's a preemptive strike. You sure that's what you're using Roman for? There's no other Roman products yes. coming to the house. It's just I, for the hair? But that's I your business, Alexis. It's your business. No, no, no. I, I wish I could. I wish I, well, I don't wish that I needed it, but I wish I could talk about it because that is <laughs> exactly what Roe wants to solve. And that's So the CEO, Z, yeah. um, was like had ED for years because of another medical condition. Yeah. And like it's nothing of, you know, and, and otherwise sort of young and healthy looking male wants to talk about. No. Um, but it's real. Um, I do not have it, thankfully, but um, but I am I am a customer when it comes to the hair loss. Propecia, a little propecia goes a long way. Uh, it works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and I see you doing these hits. Over your week, when you do your little time tracker and you, and you do your report for the end of the month, Yes. how much of your life is spent doing media hits, would you say? If, Actually, out of 100 hours, 10? I can actually, I can actually get you the exact number <laughs> of that, um, but it's not that much. I spend more than anything else of my like work time, non personal time, is actually on initialized things, 
And so that's internal. So that's everything from like one-on-ones with partners to sort of higher strategic meetings um, to software that yeah. we're building internally and product stuff. And then the next biggest chunks are always like specific portfolio companies. And so that's time we spend in office hours or like, I'll just get on the phone and be like, hey, let's talk for 15 minutes because you've got this thing you're worried about and we need to talk through it. Um, so for, pr- I mean, marketing slash PR ends up being, I don't know, a couple hours, maybe a few hours a week, hmm. literally like three, four. I mean, this is the only, I think this is the, I might be doing CNBC tomorrow. So like maybe two hours this week. And it's yeah. so much better now with Zoom. I know. I didn't have to go to, yeah, to like go to the, the CNBC office and drag my ass in there at 8 a.m. Oh, It's so good. So I'm not even better. wearing pants right now, Jason. I mean, it's just so I Don't easy. stand up. Don't stand up. I know you're wearing shorts. And, you're, I, you got, you got the nice life in Florida. I'm a Florida man now, so I definitely have shorts. You are the Florida man, literally. Uh, how, how do you deal with, uh, as a partner at the firm, being high profile? Everybody wants to talk to you, but you've got partners and you have to, you have partners who have expertise. You got a crypto partner, you know, you got partners in different areas. I, I, I don't know if Kim, my Cutler, is a partner or she, no, is. she is. Yeah. I wasn't sure what her uh, role was, but she does cities, I guess, right? That's yes. kind of her speciality, cities. Future cities, future housing, anything around policy. Yeah. She's so smart. She's been on the pod a half dozen times. She's great. Yeah, um, oh, now you're just rubbing it in. I look, she's she's brilliant, and I think there is, um, you know, actually, it's kind of a good check. If if some founder really wants initialized money just because I'm an investor there because of the weird like celebrity association with it, then they're probably yeah. not the right founder anyway. Um, right, and and because we just we really, I mean, all the people here are the they're the partners. They're the advisors we wish we had had when we were starting our companies. Like, I wish I had right. someone who I could talk to to be like, yeah, that deal with Conan Ast, not a great deal. And like, even though you may be struggling, like if you're growing every week and don't know why, that's a good thing. Like most companies mm-hmm. never get to that kind of product market fit, especially in 2005, 2006. But, yeah. um, but no, we, I think, I think it helps screen. And at the end of the day, um, I know that I still as it, like I'm a human with 24 hours in the day I want to win and I know that right. I can be at like there's a there's a limit to the amount of alexis that can help a company win and to scale not just me but to benefit from the scale of all the other people on the team is actually how I selfishly win more and and For it's sure. fun venture's not a team sport traditionally and yeah. you know this I mean you're yep. you're a lone wolf man you can yeah. like, and I think there's, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of missed opportunity by not forming an org that's built to play like a team sport. And it's, it's definitely not easy. It's definitely not normal, but I think credit to Gary's vision, it's such a different way to do it. And I think it is going to produce outsized returns as a result. Um, because I, I just, I think when coordinated well and software helps a lot, culture helps a lot. I think the, the aggregate of different viewpoints and perspectives of partners as well as their support and alignment is really powerful. Like the, the sum is greater yeah. than those parts. I mean, and built into it is you're, you're all in a fund and you all have economics. So built into the model is this, you know, like everybody is making the company. If Coinbase wins bigger, everybody wins at the end of the day. The other thing I thought was interesting that you did when in building Initialized is you didn't go after... Uh, a bunch of VCs and try to recruit them, you decided you were going to build talent, right? Like Kim was not a venture capitalist before you, right? She was a journalist, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so explain right. that strategy. Is that because you were a new firm and you couldn't recruit like somebody who had worked at another venture firm or you just preferred to, um, you know, like in other words, you, you weren't like a big market team with a big, sat, with a big, you weren't the Yankees, so you had to go another route, right? Um, yeah. No, or, we we yeah. definitely had talent. I mean, we had talented folks uh, telling us they were excited to come join us and and pitching us on the prospect, um, which was good signal because that's like okay, we're we're doing something right. But uh, but I think very deliberately wanted to find people who were first operators or founders, folks who had had experience in the trenches, who could from the day they joined be genuinely helpful to our founders. Mm in a way that I would have wanted when I was the CEO of a fledgling Reddit. Like that's because like the math was basically like, and, and the message to the partnership is like, look, we only invest in, you know, 
15, call it 15 to 20 companies a year. And so two or three each. Yeah. Across eight partners. And so we have a pretty good hit rate of billion dollar companies so far. And if you assume that we continue to be good at investing, then as long as you're working with each of those companies every year, every year, we should have at least one company where you're meeting a founder on day one and she's just getting started. And if you can be there at those key moments when she needs Captain America to show up or Hawkeye to show up. Yeah. Uh, uh, although Hulk no smash. one really wants to cry. But yeah, they, when they need Hulk to show up and you show up and you're the Hulk and they're grateful, like statistically, some, so at least one of them is going to end up being the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company in the next four, five, six years. And they're going to always remember yes. that. Yes. And that, that is how you, that's how we want people to level up in their reputation, in their careers. It's for being the one who was there, who was able to help, who was able to Hulk smash when it mattered. Cause founders don't forget this. No, of course not. Like when you, you always have a special place in your heart for the fact that Paul Graham gave you that 12 grand. Yes. And even, and even when I say things like, Oh my gosh, Paul, why, like, why did those words just come out of your mouth? Like that was, I totally disagree with that thing you said or did, right? No matter what, yeah. I will always be indebted and grateful to what Paul and Jessica did when they took that chance on us. Yeah. And, and I mean, you get that intrinsically because that's, I mean, that's, I mean, it's implicit in the angel of yeah. angel investing. Yeah. And I think that's the magic that we can tap into at early stage that can, Hopefully, as it continues to pay dividends in the long term, grows and grows and grows in value um, in a way that VC firms just haven't been built before. Yeah. And that's the play. But you got to check back with me in like five to 10 years. Okay, now more than ever, we need people with the right skills to support our communities, especially the frontline workers who provide resources and care for those most in need. And to help, LinkedIn is offering free job posts for healthcare and essential service organizations that need to quickly fill critical roles with the people who will help all of us. If you or someone you know are hiring for one of these organizations, LinkedIn's active community of over 675 million members can help you quickly find the right candidates for the front line quickly. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates for the skills and experiences you're looking for and puts your job post in front of qualified people who meet your requirements. So you can find the right person to quickly fill critical roles. Many of our portfolio companies have had success uh, using LinkedIn Jobs. One of them, Takeoffs.io, is an AI-enabled building materials marketplace. It's very cool. I found them when I was in Australia. And they were looking to hire last year an AI engineering lead, which was really difficult because, well, it's a pretty unique skill set, right? You're an engineer and you know AI. So they used LinkedIn Jobs and they found the perfect candidate with a PhD in computer vision. And this employee has been with them for over a year and has rolled out several major projects and has been, been a real game changer for, for that startup. So here is your call to action to post a healthcare or essential services job for free. Go to linkedin.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Well, I mean, the great thing about this business is you really only need to be right once per fund. It's literally, yeah. literally be right once. And if you're an angel, it's be right once. If you're a fund, it's be right once. Pregnant mm -hmm. pause, per fund. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's all right. you have to do. Gary said you guys had a leak in your game early on. You were, you were not taking a large enough percentage in the deals you were doing. Unpack yeah. why that's important for you as a fund. Uh, and yeah. I understand why it was a leak in your game because we all started as angels writing small checks from our own pockets. Um, yeah. or small funds. So you've changed your approach. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you change it? Why did you change it? Unpack it. I mean, it was, in hindsight, it's laughable, but we just weren't, you know, like you said, we were basically just angels. We were investing our own money with a little, with some extra money from LPs, from our investors, but really selling for small ownership percentages. And when we launched what I call like modern initialized, um, which was, that was like 2013, 2014, um, we, we set out to actually start getting material ownership amounts. That was like probably around four or 5%, which compared to the paltry, like less than 1% we were doing. Yeah. 10 basis points, 50 bips. Yeah. Like a huge step up. Um, but even over the life of that fund, we kept getting more and more aggressive with ownership because founders were excited to give it to us with the next fund. Then we were targeting like 10% ownership because we thought, okay, all right, this is, it's working. And that ownership helps the math. And. And now, I mean, we really, and we target 15 with first check and founders are very happy about it uh, because it makes their process easier. They don't have to go talk to multiple people and we can still get some strategics in there. And, and then the math basically just works for returning the fund where we know 
because of that ownership percentage and assuming that we can at least maintain it, like get our pro rata with a number of future rounds, then by the time there's a liquidity event, um, an IPO or an acquisition, or they're doing, you know, the kinds of revenue numbers that we need, um, we'll be able to return that fund entirely with that one investment. And that is the goal. And so at a minimum, we know we need to be, that's like our, that's almost our, that's our worst case scenario. We obviously want to have multiple, uh, fund returners, uh, in every fund, but we, we, we have to be mindful of that ownership. We just weren't early on because we didn't, frankly, we didn't know any better. Neither did I. When I started, it was like, what's pro rata, right? Like, you're not, you don't yeah. even know what that is. Like, what is pro rata? How does that work? And then you yeah. quickly learn the lesson that, oh my God, if you had made the second bet or the third, you guys made a famously a second bet on Coinbase. Coinbase. And oh, that, yeah. the, the second bet is better than the first, correct? Yeah, In that's terms right. of the cash on cash. And that was an opportunistic, that was Gary just having breakfast with the founder, Brian, and Brian being like, hey, I'm out of working capital every morning by like 9 a.m. And Gary's like, that's a great problem to have. <laughs> and he just frantically sent off an email and we were just like, yeah, of course, like, let's give him Here's as much milli. as possible. But like, <laughs> what was that? Another high- million bucks? Another two million bucks? It wasn't even that much. Really? And it was the, and it was the biggest thing we could have ever done. And, and so that's just, I mean, that was a $7 million fund. We just weren't, we were in a different mindset and that that fund still performed well, but like we'd look at this and think, okay, there's a lot to learn. And, and it's actually kind of liberating, um, to be able to get that higher ownership because I think it also then it focuses us to make sure we're really, we're picking companies we're genuinely all very excited about. And um and it just puts more pressure on us to to do the work and support them. More skin in the game, right? You have more skin in the game. You got to take it more seriously. Fewer uh, fewer shots on goal, I guess, is the the metaphor. Well, you, well, yeah, it's more wood behind fewer arrows, whatever. But I mean, if you uh. have a great deal, and they say we only have five percent of you, five percent available, we're only because you see this happen now with what I what I dubbed the Pegasus movement: people skipping rounds of funding and just building off revenue, like we saw Com do, Notion did. Uh, we have a couple of companies doing it, Fit, FitBod, where they just, they're making so much money, they're just like, screw it, we're going to skip our Series A or B, we just want a million dollars. And then how do you deal mm-hmm. with that? And have you had that sort of phenomenon come where people are like, you know what, I only want to give up 10% of my company. I only want to give up 5% of my company. I don't need the money. Will you do it or not do it? We we won't. Um, the other, I mean, okay, there's, because we really live, I mean, we live at like pre-seed, seed, we live at such an early stage. It hasn't happened trying to think we've had there have been deals that have come across though of like the ludicrous seed round where they're just asking for yeah basically it's just so over competed on there's so many term sheets the valuation is so high that um you know it would mean us taking an absurdly low percentage ownership and in that case you know we just we're we're comfortable walking the math just doesn't work and no hard feelings yeah see i think this is what people don't understand they're like why would you do that? It's what we just said, you only have to hit one. So in order to be a successful investor, you don't have to hit Uber. You could hit Lyft. You don't have to hit Lyft. You could hit DoorDash. Like you don't have to hit DoorDash. Yeah. You could hit Postmates. All of these were home runs. One's a grand slam. One's a you know two run homer. One's a home run. You know they they could all be just different outliers. You guys were early in crypto. Obviously, you got the grand plan for Reddit. I thought the Reddit announcement, to be totally honest, was the most credible thing I've ever seen in crypto. But let's really? face it, one hundred percent. 100%. Coinbase is super credible though, no, Jason. No, no, no. It's just, you know why? I'll tell you why it's more credible to me is because Coinbase is about speculation. People buy crypto. They want to have exposure. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. You've got exposure. That to me is kind of the most boring aspect of crypto. But when somebody mm-hmm. says, I'm going to use crypto to have a free-flowing microtransaction that rewards people to become sustainable jobs, which you haven't said you're doing, I'm I've saying you're doing, but I will be right. I'm guaranteeing <laughs> I'm going to be right about this one. When subreddit, the, the first, there's going to be, I'll make a, we're going to make another bet now. Okay. Somebody will make $1 million a year or a team of two people, whatever it is. Somebody's going to make a million dollars a year running a subreddit on Reddit within the next five years. Hmm. And not by like selling links or doing something gray hat or bullshit. Like in crypto. There is absolutely that much like, there, there is absolutely that much momentum in the world right now on platforms that are still smaller and have less vibrant communities. Of course, right? There's look at the that. Absolutely happening in other places that are smaller and have less vibrant communities is is a good indication. 
Right. Well, I saw somebody actually made pitched me on uh, the Reddit of crypto. I forgot the name of it. You must have seen oh, it. Oh, yeah. It was- Snag um, it, snip it. It was in that vein, but it, it just was too- too Spammy. It felt too underground, too- Yeah, too like- I mean, it wasn't a dark web website, but it kind of felt like it, it looked felt darky, felt, dark web. I mean, yeah, it felt kind of dark web to me too. What 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 crypto was a steaming pile of ICO scams. You must have seen that happening at the same time you're investing in Coinbase and Reddit is making a wallet. These things mm -hmm. don't go unnoticed. How do you separate in your mind the absolute just ginormous scam that occurred in parallel to <laughs> a, a real? fascinating technology platform that could change the world. How do you parse that as an investor? Uh, and, and credit to Brett Gibson, who's one of our partners, who's really taken a lead on a lot of these um, deals. We, we evaluated them like any other startup. And so we only, we didn't do any ICOs. We only invested in just de boring Delaware C Corps. Um, no tokens? Have, no tokens? No. <laughs> no. We got that. We, and, and I think there were probably some, there could have been some, Okay, there were definitely some non-scam investments there, um, but few and far between, for sure. The vast yeah. majority were. And and to hell with all of them, those people are scumbags. Like I Poof, they're just the worst. The worst the worst the, the worst entrepreneurs are the ones who are that just criminal in their activities of fraud um, yeah. in the name of like entrepreneurship. So okay. Yeah. The we we evaluated based on really the same criteria any software company. So like what to, like let's let's see what you've built. Like Let's talk about your engineering capabilities. Let's talk about your product capabilities. Let's talk about your design abilities. So it was all the same criteria. And we still managed, um, you know, we managed to find companies. Bison Trails is another one um, that's providing the, the infrastructure for uh, a lot of these coins, including Libra. Mm. Um, that was a startup based out of New York. A couple of really brilliant founders who had had an exit, I think, to Etsy. Great at product, like great taste, great engineering, like gotten obsessed with crypto and they were building a business for the right reasons. And they explained like very soberly, like how this was going to be a real company. And so it, it was, it was more like a great startup that happened to be doing crypto mm. and not like, Oh, it's a crypto startup. Here's, Here's our money. Tokens. And, and I think that's where people got it wrong. Um, there's another one, Horizon, which powers, um, a game called Skyweaver, which is like, these non-fungible assets. So like if you played Magic the Gathering like I did growing up, you collected baseball cards. Uh, you couldn't like you could actually trade them and they yeah. had value. But you have billions of dollars being spent on digital goods, like a sword in a video game. Or, yeah, I mean that was um, like I think Brock Pierce, who is, you know, uh was a big, big is a big crypto guy living in Puerto Rico. He his business before that, which he was doing with Steve Bannon, was this Chinese based World of Warcraft coins, gold. It was a gold farming expedition. Gold farming thing. Yes. Yeah, people forget that. You'd get people uh, mining under really bad conditions uh, in order to take di this digital good of gold in WoW, and then they'd sell it on eBay in order to like, and then meet up with you in game. Yeah, go Never. for the drop. You got to go get the drop. Yeah. But like when you see these black markets that exist, when there's so much friction, it's a really good sign that if you just brought it into the sunlight and built good software for it, that people will do it. And that's that's the premise for Horizon and Skyweaver. And I think those are uses for a blockchain where it actually makes sense 100%. and where at the end of the day, it's still a great product team and still great engineering behind it. Um, and and to hell with all the scammers because they it was just sickening to see what was on display and, and the people who are getting fleeced. Uh, it's just, yeah, yeah, they were going still, after like, what it what it showed me was just how much enthusiasm there is for entrepreneurship, and mm -hmm. people you know in Florida, some grandma or some retiree in Arizona is like, I want to be part of the next Uber, the next whatever yeah. Coinbase, and then somebody's like, Yeah, I'm building something that's going to change the world. Go go buy these tokens, and the to and then they disappear and abscond with the money, and they've just been slowly unraveling this. What are we year five years after these ICOs, and now finally people are going to go to jail, you know. Thankfully, and I'm yeah. glad the SEC is. I think it's the SEC has been pushing. Yeah, on that. big time. Agency, like it's, yeah. It's well, think about what you and I have to go through to to run funds. Like the amount of care we have to have with our LPs, making sure everybody's accredited, and then these clowns come out and they just start selling tokens to wallets, and nobody knows who they are. It could be terrorists. It could be the mafia. Yeah. I mean, who the hell knows what's going on? It was just a disaster. Um, what What have you? gotten better at now as an investor that you sucked at when you started? 
leaks mm. in your game, things that you look back on now and go, I mean, we got the one of like percentage ownership. Let's put that one aside. Uh, that yeah. might be the number one one actually in terms of changing return profile. But what, as we, as we get towards the hour and we wrap up, what do, what do you, uh, what have you gotten better at? What do you need to get better at? You know, I did not trust my instincts enough with founders. Um, and, and so we have the advantage of, so all of our every meeting with everyone, like we write our own notes, it goes in software, it's in, it's structured data. And so it's really valuable. Even it's like the pre votes we do on companies, the actual votes we do on companies are both quantitative and qualitative. And so we get to look back on the tape on the game film on Monday from Sunday. And often that's like weeks or months or years later. And it's super helpful now just two or three years in to be able to look back on the game tape for companies where like I wrote in the notes that I could tell there was a, a clear palpable tension between the founders. And what had tipped me off in the notes was I had, I had asked who the CEO was Ooh. and they both kind of stumbled over each other. Co-CEOs. And they both got to the same place kind of, but it was a tell. And then throughout the rest of the pitch meeting, they would kind of talk over each other and the other, um, just, just the body language didn't, it didn't feel right. Right. And so my spidey sense was tingling, loved the market, loved the, the, the proof of concept product and the initial traction, the early traction that they had. And so I was like, and even my notes, I'm like, I'm worried about this, but everything else feels so right. And I think it's overcomable and it's just going to take some coaching and blah, 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 blah. But like looking back on it, once we did the postmortem on that company, which did ultimately, you know, shut down, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm just like, I felt like, Wow. I was like my own Cassandra because like I saw what was happening. I yep. interpreted it. I noted it, but I didn't listen to it. And and for early stage investing, so much of it really comes down to the founders you're investing in. Yep. And part of it is their relationship with each other, uh, a big part of it. And uh, and I didn't trust those instincts well enough. And so it's hard because I, I now think about how do I, I like I want to be a good mentor to our other partners. I want to be helpful here. Um, but when the answer is like, trust your intuition, it doesn't like, it's kind of a bad answer. Cause it's like, well, you develop that intu intuition after lots of years and lots of reps of like getting it right and getting yeah. it wrong and learning. Do 2000 in-person meetings and then yeah. look at which ones you passed on that succeeded. Look at which ones you invested in that failed and, and you start to reflect, right? And even fake invest in it, right? Like, like in those Fantasy meeting notes. Fantasy sports, yeah. Exactly. And so I think those are good ways for aspiring investors or whatnot to, to sort of exercise those muscles and get good at that reflection. Um, and, and noticing those founder dynamics early is something I, I would just will not let myself screw up again because that was just, it was so frustrating. And, you know, if you look, there, there have been examples of cantankerous founder relationships that did result in big outcomes too. So I actually almost don't fault you too much. It usually I, results in a founder being expelled from the company, however. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And this one was a little trickier too. I don't want to go into too much, but yeah, it, no, no. It, it, yeah, it was a little trickier. Much. But uh, I hear you. It can still, that can still absolutely work. And then it's right. Like we don't have to, it's crazy because we have such long time horizons because we, we could think like how we have to basically think over the next 10 years, how will this company do? And you really can't, you obviously can't predict everything. No. And you really just need a couple of really important things to go right. It's just so hard for those key things to happen. It's a, The game is humbling, right? This game is humbling. Because you don't oh, yeah. know how you did until you're five or six. The things that you think were going to work don't. And the things that you were unsure of do. And you're just like, yeah. if your top, what are your top two investments now, just objectively in terms of valuation return? Uh, well, so Coinbase and Instacart are the two. Okay. So your top two investments are Webvan yes. 3.0 <laughs> and yep. people trading virtual currencies. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck, Alexis. Yeah. You know my two? Yeah. A cab company and a meditation app. Uber and Calm, right? Like, yeah. The people made fun of Uber. This is so stupid. It's a VC product. It's just for people taking Lincoln Town cars. And then Calm, they were just like, you're an idiot. Like, meditation like nobody does that and you have to do it in person yeah yeah it's i and that is the it believe me it's the the drug for me about this gig is it's so validating or so vindicating i think is the word Oof. when you get it right yes and i know it's a half court you're, shot you're definitely not uh you're not shy about proclaiming that jason and it's like it's real though it's i i yeah. know like i actually find it quite endearing because i'm just like 
Jason says a lot of the things that I feel when it's like you have this thing that you believed in when no one else did, and you uh, should have more swag. I you you, I think putting the swag out there a little bit. Yeah, as long as you're humble about the losses, like I tell people, I got lucky twelve times. People are like, you're 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 a bullshit artist. You got lucky. You just hit Uber. I'm like, yep, Uber and eleven others. We can just leave it at that. <laughs> and then look at you. You you yeah. you as a kid you created Reddit, which is still one of the top what is it thirty sites in the United States twenty, uh, it might be five. You created oh, that, yeah. You created and turn it, it well, help turn it around and help but turn like, it around. I mean, that that swag d deserves a little bit of swag, and I think sure letting people you know that life, there's already too much swag in the household. There's I'm <laughs> obnoxious already, <laughs> uh, and so I I I. I'm going to take your feedback, but politely. <laughs> well, I'm not saying it. you want to take the world's greatest athlete or modern day athlete. Yeah, I yeah, can't. I don't think you're in a position to do that at home. <laughs> Got to keep it all in check. And it's, it's, it's wonderful, though, to be in a job that is humbling and be in a relationship that is humbling um, because yeah. I do. I mean, the, the ego is real. And well, I was and about to say, like, just think about like you and I being micro celebrities and we get mobbed when you go to an inner event. Yeah. And then your wife shows up and it's just like, that's just a whole different level. I mean, that's just icon level. It's totally different. Uh, and I, I've, it's, it's, it's bizarre, right? I mean, having somebody in your life that's that big of a celebrity. I have one person in my life who's that big of a celebrity uh, who wasn't. And it's just bizarre to go out with them now. It's actually uncomfortable and problematic to just go hmm. places. Like when it's Elon, when I, we, when I, when I, Elon and I became friends before SpaceX and Tesla, mm -hmm. I would introduce him to people like, Hey, Sam Harris, here's my friend, Elon. And, they wouldn't even, they were like, oh, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm doing this ro robotic company. I'm doing like an electric car company and I'm doing rockets. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. Now, I, uh, you, you can't even go out with Elon. I mean, it's just, yeah. it, just no, having yeah. dinner is, you know, crazy. I mean, with Serena, it's got to be the same thing, right? Like, uh, it is. And I definitely, I mean, I don't, I don't know the details of your relationship with Elon, but I suspect it's not romantic. No, 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 no. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Romance. also... It's this, yes, which, and, and bromances are beautiful things. Like the, the, the dynamic definitely shifts too, because it is, I still find myself getting in these situations where I'm like, I'm also trying to create some space and, and let my wife have some privacy and be able to say, say the things that she really can't say right. uh, in those situations. And so it like, there is, there's definitely weird tension because I mean, I saw, Total obscurity, which is my entire life until like starting Reddit. Then there was like a little bit of internet awareness and like every yep. now and then someone would see me and take a photo and little things. But then I like I've watched and I it's interesting because like seeing it now day to day, you really see the different ways uh, of, of sort of going through the world based on that. Yep. And there are believe me, there's a lot there are a lot of perks to fame, um, but there are a lot of it. Uh, there's oh, a lot of it that is incredibly isolating. And, and it's like, I don't know. It's I like, I feel like I have a lucky avenue or view into it because I mean, Serena has been this icon since she was basically a teenager. Um, and she's really known that for her entire life. And whereas I've seen, I've gone from obscurity to like semi obscurity and to now being married to, uh, an, a global icon. And it's, uh, it's a trip. It's a really unique environment. And then, okay, here's, what's really intense though. Is because I talked to um, like Casey, Casey Neistat, right? Yeah. Here's a guy who, by traditional measurements, wouldn't necessarily be considered like an A-list celebrity because he didn't, he is not in a Hollywood film or not in a TV show. But the level of intimacy and the level of fame for this generation of vloggers and creators, unbelievable, is bigger. Like, no, I was, Brad I had him on my podcast, and it was like the podcast went supernova. Oh, the new dress. It looks amazing. Magnifique. Jason likes your dress. Très belle. Magnifique. Beautiful. And I and so I think there's a whole other generation, too, who are experiencing. There's a whole other generation, too, of creators who are experiencing because they have such an intimate relationship yep. with literally millions of fans that even makes... Oh, <laughs> hold on, baby. That even makes Serena's relationship with her fans feel like just a different level. Right. Um, and that's what the internet has now created in terms of the relationship and the closeness yeah. that people feel. It's great as a tool. You know, that's what I always tell people. Like, it's great as a tool. Like, if I can go on CNBC and I can, 
yes. you know, fight for a cause or I can get a point across. Like I'm very passionate about entrepreneurship, whatever. If I, if I can help inspire people, like that's great in that little micro thing. And, you know, uh, all right, listen, uh, we'll wrap up here. I know you got, you got a lot to do on your plate. I appreciate oh, yes. taking the time, okay. but we do have the bet. Here. We have the bet. <laughs> October 2013 was our bet. And the bet was how many years before the majority of rides are done without a human driver? Whoever loses takes the entire audience, what? Yeah. To dinner okay. at Dim Sum at Golden Palace. Okay, we got we have that list of who was at that event. I think we have that in a in a survey monkey somewhere. Uh one of us said it will take over 12 years. One of us took seven years. Do you know who took seven and who took 12? Wait, and this is for self-driving. I probably took seven. You did. You were the optimist. You took seven years. I took it will take more like 12. Uh, I took the over. So, in fact, you are buying those 150 people who came to that event. Hey, let's Dim do sum, it. Dim we're doing it. <laughs> See, I'm on my word, though, because I remembered it jump. I was like, I remember this interview, and yes. I remember, remember ending with this. So I will, I will man up to that for sure. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to, I don't know how soon we could do it in a socially distant way, but it'll yes. happen. Uh, and uh, actually, Serena and I are both investors in the same company, Nude Bar. I don't know if you know that one, but they make- Right on. Yeah, no. They, it, they make um, intimates like uh, the the woman who started Aaron uh, was a Nick City dancer, and she needed to get you know like stockings and bras and all that kind of stuff. But she's African American, and they all come in white or pal. And so she came up with a line that's for every skin tone. And Serena is an investor. I'm an investor, and love uh, it. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, and that always goes over well when she's pitching folks. Um, I bet. Right. Listen, uh, great having you back on the pod. Stay safe. Everybody's safe, Thank yeah? In Florida, yeah. everybody's going. Uh, Nobody's listening to anything about the pandemic in Florida. I, we are. We are. You but, are. Uh, nobody else is. No masks, no distancing, no. nothing. I've got my Adam's mask in the car. <laughs> oh, those are tight. I got to get one of those. Beautiful. I please, I will I will send some to oh, your cool. squad. We're, Thank you. We're, squad we, donate, we donate one to New York City Housing Authority. Uh, for everyone that sold to so the Tom's style model, but um, yeah, a lot we've we've moved a lot of those baskets, and folks seem to love them. So yeah, we'll get you some. Great. All right, man, stay safe. Uh, appreciate doing the pod, and let's do it again uh, in less than seven years next time. Less than seven years, less deal. than seven. That's the deal. All right, take care. Be safe. We'll see you all next time on this week in startups. Bye bye. <laughs>